2: I'm very excited, very, very excited because this kicked off while I was in the midst of moving countries, <laughs> but I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Rob, our resident vet, this morning to come Thank and you. answer your animal questions. Good morning.
1: <laughs> Good
0: morning, Becky. Good morning,
1: Robo. Great to have you with Yay. us again, mate. And uh, I want to introduce you this morning, Rob, to uh, a member of my family. Uh, her name right. is Rory. She's a little uh, three-year-old Bengal kitten, which is gorgeous. Uh, so She's
2: sport rotten She
1: is So that's my little cat Rory She's very cute
2: Doesn't sound little well, You get to
0: bring her to work Robbo
1: Yeah I, I could have brought her to work couldn't have I But um, <laughs> No maybe not that, But that would have gone probably not very well But uh, she, Rory's a beautiful little uh, three year old But um, That is cute During the day But not at four o'clock in the morning When my alarm goes off oh, And she boy. decides she wants to welcome me to the day I wow. guess two questions. One is, like, can you make that stop? Like, is there a way to stop that at, at that time? Because it obviously disturbs other members of the family. But the other thing mm. is, which is quite um, peculiar, if I or my youngest son walk around the house, she does that. If my wife yeah. or my eldest son walks around the house, she just sits there and looks at them. Like, there's no – like, it's quite distinct that she will really be very boisterous, you know, if we come in from work or yeah. whatever, she'll just meow like that. Um what would be the reason that she's doing that? Is it you know um affection for us or dislike for us, like what is it that's going
0: on there? Uh, i think I think sort of getting to the root of why she's doing it is is the key to working out well, how do we make her stop doing it at four yeah. in the morning? <laughs> um look Bengals are an interesting breed in that they're nowhere near as domesticated as many other breeds of cat around the world. um they're they're very much more closely related to their wild ancestors than yeah you know, say it's a um, you know your standard sort of domestic short hair cat that's been around people for a few thousand years. you know yeah. the Egyptians first started living with cats, but Bengals are are sort of very new to the domestic cat world really in yeah. in terms of uh, in terms of comparison. so um I actually think they're often quite highly strung. Oh, I think stress and anxiety is often a um, a pretty common trait in the Bengal breed mm-hmm. and um, I reckon the, the vocalising sometimes is about anxiety. You know, they're worried about something. Okay. Or sometimes it's about frustration. They're wanting to be doing something else. So at, at uh, sometimes in the middle of the night, they're wanting to get out there and go hunting. Yeah. Um, or they're wanting food. Or they're wanting your attention. They're Often, you know, that frustration is about wanting something that they don't have. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's just about excitement. They're thinking, oh, all right, it's playtime. Yeah, or that's it's, right. Um, yeah, it might be. You know, it's time for a cuddle or it's time for something nice. So um, the, the vocalizing can mean sort of good stress. You know, imagine, oh, I sort of think of good stress as, you know, like, like first date kind of stress. It's yeah. stressful, but it's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, or, or otherwise, it, it could be negative stress. You know, um, there, there's something outside that, that's going to get me, and I'm feeling in danger. Mm. Um, or sometimes it's about that that anticipation of, oh, it's time to hunt, or it's time to play, or it's time to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of them will show that by by excessively vocalising. Yeah, right. um, now, if it's if it's a stress and anxiety thing, um, there's actually a the, the first thing that I often um, get people to do is we'll try and identify if there's anything else going on, if there's any noise or if there's any movement or if there's something going on that, that you can sort of pick as a trigger and try and eliminate that. Um, another thing that I'll try and get people to do though is um, there's, there's a, a product um, that actually uses a, a relaxing cat pheromone. So mm-hmm. pheromones are, are chemicals that have, have an effect on, on your body and, um, there's a, a product that you can actually plug into the wall and switch on, and it releases this relaxing cat pheromone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, this cat pheromone is the same thing that cats produce in their, their the skin of their chins and cheeks. That so, you know when they rub up against yes. your leg or, yeah. or against the chair, chair leg or table leg, they're actually marking that as a safe and familiar spot. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've they've made this um, this uh, synthetic cat pheromone. Um, to be able to be dispersed through the room via an electronic device that looks like a bit of an air freshener thing, but it's yeah. sending out relaxing cat pheromone. that will very often bring down their levels of anxiety to a degree. Mm, that's um, interesting.
1: Yeah, we've yeah. actually just, re- probably in the last month, we've, we have gotten uh, that uh, and we've plugged it in to, to trial it. So I'll, I'll be interested to see whether that um, uh, has maybe yeah. made that less, uh, less common.
0: If if you're using it, you try and put it in the spot where 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 the cat spends most of its time. Yep. Um, if you've got a big house, sometimes you need two or three of them to really get the the levels up in the atmosphere. Mm. Um, but look, if if that doesn't work, then then that then sort of becomes a um, a conversation with your vet. And um, for some, if if, if they dis- if they sort of discover that it is an anxiety issue, and and I'd say in Bengal that that's quite common. Um, Sometimes some anti anxiety medication can help. Okay. Um, and also sometimes some little retraining techniques to sort of um, try and essentially teach puss to relax when you give them cues to, okay, now it's time to relax.
1: Yeah, okay. Um, oh,
0: that's cool. I'd say yeah, you're partly up against, um, you know, breed, but you're also partly up against. The fact that many of them like to live a nocturnal lifestyle, yeah, and four am to me that's nocturnal. That's yep. normal for you guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Getting yeah. up to go to yeah. work, but for them they're thinking right, it's it's party time now. <laughs> I
2: love it.
1: Interesting. That's I amazing. All right. Well, we'll explore some of those options. That's uh, some good insight there, Rob. Thanks for that. Now, look, we're asking uh, or giving you the opportunity to ask uh, Doctor Rob a question this morning. So, if you want to call through with your questions for Doctor Rob, you can do that. Uh, by calling 1-800-316-316. Any uh, vet-related, pet-related questions uh, for our resident vet, you can uh, call through. 1-800-316-316 and let us know what your question is for Dr Rob Getting your day off to a great start with a breakfast full of positive music, fun, inspiration and so much more Rise and Shine shine. with Robbo and Becky on Vision
2: The wonderful resident vet for us, Dr Rob, uh, joins us this morning taking your questions Uh, Now Dr Rob, we got this one in on Insta, the old social media for the win, uh, and it says What's the best treatment For arthritis in dogs, there we
0: go. I I reckon, Becky, that the best treatment is not to get old. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) All right, okay. um,
0: (laughs) Genetics certainly plays a part in these things. You know, for dogs that are prone to hip and elbow dysplasia, for instance, Mm. um, those dogs are going to get arthritis later on. Mm. Um, So, you know, genetics is part of it, but it's a bit late by then, by the time you own the dog. Um, yeah. managing their weight is a really important thing. You know, we just see way too many overweight dogs carrying, you know, sometimes 20%, 30 yeah. 40% way too much weight yeah, um, right. compared to what okay. they should. Um, in terms of medications, though, there's a, um, a medication that's given as a series of injections over a few weeks to start with, and then often it's just given every few months as a bit of a top-up. Um, yeah. It's really great for the old dogs, very, very few problems with it, and, and for some, it can really just keep them going. Um, Other dogs will end up on some anti-inflammatory medication, um, which uh, you certainly don't want to use human anti-inflammatory in dogs. They don't tolerate them very well and that can cause big problems. But um, anti-inflammatory are very often used in the long term. Um, Usually, especially if they're an older dog or a dog with certain health problems, you want to check some some blood tests and, and a urine test to make sure that their kidneys and their liver function is okay. But if okay. those things are, then with some with some you know careful use, um, anti inflammatories can be used often for a long time with with very very few problems. Mm. Okay. Um, there's a, a newish thing um, that's it's actually a plant extract, and at this stage, I'm pretty sure you can still buy this over the counter without a prescription. Um, it, it's a plant extract called Epitalis, and um, there's a specific brand name that I probably can't mention, but, um, yeah, yeah Epitalus Extract. Um, it, it's shown a lot of really great uh, results, and uh, I actually had my own dog on it um, before she left us a couple of years ago. Um, and uh, that's, that's another option yeah. that often works really well that, that doesn't require a prescription. Um, but, yeah, I, I'd say... Probably really important to establish with your vet that it is actually arthritis. I think a lot of people start trying to manage arthritis, and it turns out to sometimes not be Maybe something else. Okay. Um, establish that it is arthritis, um, which might mean a, a physical examination, or it will mean a physical examination. It might mean some X-rays too to confirm it sometimes, but. Um yeah. get your vet to confirm that that's the problem first and then they can map out a plan for you with, with one or all of these sort of options that I've mentioned. Yeah,
1: all right. Sounds like great. some uh, options. But, yeah, I yeah, guess the, right. yeah, maybe if we can find the fountain of youth for the dogs, that would be the, the yeah, best way to be get around. That's right. That would be <laughs> the best thing. <laughs> Absolutely. For me too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like we can all relate, can't we? Yeah. Uh, we're getting your questions from uh, Dr Rob this morning, our resident vet. Uh, you can uh, call through with your questions on 1-800-316-316. We'll jump into the newsroom. Get the latest Vision National News headlines and then uh, quickly ask Dr Rob one or two more questions before he has to go for the day.
2: Rise and shine with Robbo and Becky on Vision.
1: And our resident vet is with us, Dr Rob, and he's uh, hung around a bit longer than uh, planned uh, to keep answering your questions. So thanks for that, Dr Rob. But uh, we've had a call uh, from Cindy that's come through with a question. What's your question for, uh, for Dr Rob, Cindy?
2: My little Maltese Shih Tzu um, has been really, really itchy on her back end area Mm. and um, all week just picking at it like it was a flea. It's not a flea. I've been over with a flea comb. I've shaved her hair bald so I can see if there's any fleas as well. No flea eggs coming up on the flea comb, but she's picking at it like it's a flea, Mm. very irritated. Anyway, a week later on the weekend... She develops red lumps, hard red lumps all over the back end area. A little bit on the belly, but most... Anyway, I finally managed to get rid of the lumps, you know, trying different products, charcoal tablets that I made her have, which usually helps gurgly belly. She's got that at the moment as well. Her belly's rumbling. Mm. Um, But, uh, yeah, I thought it had gone, but now she's picking at it again. And the part that didn't disappear after all that is a hard, lumpy area underneath her little, you know, where she wheezes out of.
0: Yeah, sure. But everywhere
2: else, all all the other lumps disappeared, and the yeah. and the rash disappeared. Yeah. Now, Cindy, that you're area saying just, the, the, it won't the, it won't go. I don't know. I, I've put on some um um first aid cream. Supposed to be good for getting rid of. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: What What do you yeah, think there might saying, Dr. Dr. it might be, Doctor? Like, uh, is it over her sort of tail tail base area? Okay, over her lower back.
2: Oh, I've I've squeezed I've squeezed her little glands and you know twice. <laughs> There's nothing left in there. Yeah,
0: yeah. But the uh, uh, the skin not... problem, Cindy, is that mainly sort of over her lower back and around around her tail. No, under. Underneath. Okay. Look, I reckon being a little Maltese Tzu, they are really super prone to allergic skin conditions and. Um, it could be that she's being set off by something that she's breathing in, like a, a pollen or dust mites or fungal spores or something like that. Um, it could also be something that she's touching, like especially if it's down underneath her, like something that she's lying on, like a grass or a plant or a, something like that. Um, some allergies, um, yeah, are, are, are about contact, but there are others that are about food as well, and it can be absolutely any element of their food, but. Overall, inhaled and contactings are much more common as sources of allergies than food is. Although, you know, food certainly happens, but um, it's a distant third. Um, mm. I'd say, um, like, sometimes the, the lumps that you're describing, sometimes that's a sign that because they've been so itchy and sore and irritated, the skin becomes a, a less effective barrier against normal skin bacteria and you, you've usually got a little dog who is licking themselves um, you know, into next week. <laughs> They're, um, they just can't leave themselves alone. Um, and, and of course, they've got a, a mouthful of bacteria and uh, you make for a, a warm, moist environment on the surface of the skin. And, um, and it all adds up to great environments for infection. Mm. And very often, even after the allergen has gone, that infection is enough to keep them itchy and to keep the whole process Going for itself. So, I'd sort of say um, you've often got to do a few things. Number one priority in terms of comfort of your poor little dog is got to stop that itch. And um, I think that is usually one of those things that that a vet needs to step in and help you do. There are some medications that can stop that itch really quickly and and stop this cycle from uh, perpetuating itself. if the vet thinks that there is infection involved, then sometimes we'll do a course of antibiotics or medicated washes or various other things that will squash that infection. So you've kind of cleared away that side of the itch. Um, if it proves to be a recurring thing, you know, if she's sort of experiencing this again and again and again, then you need to try and work out, well, what's this allergen and is it something that we can eliminate? And that's a complicated process. Um, but, um, I would say, even though Cindy, you're saying that you've um had a look for fleas, I would for any skin problem down the rear end of a dog, I would never ever rule out fleas as as a potential cause now, fleas are tricky because um a lot of dogs have got a flea allergy where it takes one or two flea bites the flea takes off, you know most of the time fleas mm. actually aren't on the dog ninety five percent of the time they're off in the environment, so you You've got to be lucky to ever see a flea on a dog unless they're loaded with them. Um, so the flea often jumps on, has a little meal of blood, jumps off, the, the poor dog gets a big allergic reaction and then they lick and chew and then they cause all these other problems.
1: So yeah, well. The
0: fact that there aren't fleas to be seen doesn't mean that there hasn't been a flea that yeah. has triggered this whole thing. And it can even just be one flea that they casually run into at the park sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so I would say... Just as a really good thing to cover your bases if you haven't already done it Cindy get your little dog onto a really effective flea treatment um, there are loads of flea treatments out there I think some are just not worth it others are definitely super effective and super safe for, for the dogs um, I'd say you know a, a phone call um, to your vet clinic they'll they'll certainly recommend um, an over the counter flea treatment that that you can use and I would say do that almost no matter what but sounds to me like you've got a little dog with some very irritated skin I think we need to probably step in and stop that itch deal with any infection and then if it proves to be a recurring thing try and look into well what's the trigger here and uh, let's try and eliminate that trigger
1: mm, Excellent great advice Dr excellent. Rob Thanks Thank for that you. Thanks Cindy appreciate your call and uh, yeah some uh, good things there for you to, to follow up on
2: Yeah okay Bye
1: all right, just before you go, Dr. Rob, another one which is pretty relevant for this time uh, with obviously being uh, still the end of summer. Uh, we've had a question on Facebook asking about uh, snake bite. Obviously, uh, dogs and cats can be prone to this, but what are the symptoms? Like if your uh, dog or cat gets bitten by a snake, what can we be looking out for as some of the uh, the signs?
0: Sure thing. I think if you've seen the bite happen, you've got a problem. You know, uh, that's not something that you want to sit around and, and um, um and ah about too much. Yeah. Like, time is mm-hmm. of the essence. But um, if um, if you're not sure if they've been bitten, that's when it becomes tricky. Um, so if if your dog or cat shows signs of just being generally lethargic, um, sometimes having shivery, shaky muscles, um, and sometimes also a reduced ability to blink um, if you touch them just oh, wow. near the corner of their eye, not, not on their eye, but near the corner of their eye, Sometimes they just won't blink very effectively. Oh, well. um, you, while you're in that area, you might notice that their pupils are dilated. So, you know, the black part in the middle of their eyes wide open like a dinner plate. Um, often they're a bit wonky on their legs, you know, a bit weak and wobbly. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes they'll, they'll collapse from there. Um, sometimes they're unable to move. You know, they just can't manage to get themselves up and moving. Um, sometimes they'll lose their, their bladder or bowel control. Um, sometimes you'll see bleeding from from their nose or mouth or bottom or mm. or somewhere else. Um, sometimes you'll you'll see if they go to the toilet, it'll look really dark. You know, some sometimes sort of bloody, but sometimes look really dark red. Um, it gets it gets described as port wine urine. Right, you know, right. It the colour of port wine. Mm. Um, it, you're actually really unlikely to, to see the bite. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you can actually see. Some little patches where there's some bleeding from from the fangs, but most of the time you won't see the the actual bite marks. So, you know, don't use that as a reliable thing. Um, most dogs that have been bitten by a snake will vomit at some point as well. Um, that, that sort of always gets my um, heart racing. If if you're seeing some of these signs and yeah. they've vomited, you think, right, this is now mm. suspicious, like really suspicious. But um, all the signs that I've mentioned, they're all sometimes signs. You know, The yeah. tricky thing about snake bite is that they don't show all the signs all the time. Well, sometimes they'll show some things, but then other things not for many hours later. Um, so I would say if you've got suspicion that your dog's been bitten by a snake, um, first things first, you don't want them to move around. You absolutely stop yeah, their movement. Yeah. Um, pick them up to put them in the car and drive to the vet. Um, mm-hmm. You also probably, as you're driving or if someone is there to help you, you want to phone ahead. Um, not all vet clinics carry anti-venom um, because it's, um, it's often a little bit hard to get, but it's also yeah. super expensive to stock it. So sometimes okay. it's your bigger vet clinics or your emergency vet clinics that that will have it, but mm. You, you ring ahead to your vet first and say, have you got anti-venom? Um, now, the, the the terrible thing is that often it involves a bit of a financial decision as well because um, treating with anti-venom is very expensive. And um, I think um, you know, it's probably a good decision to, to make even before any of this happens. You know, Just think to yourself, well, if my dog was bitten by a snake, am I prepared to spend potentially thousands of dollars yeah, right. on anti-venom? Mm. Um, because um, that's not a decision that you want to be making in the heat of the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's um, right. No. exactly. that's a decision to have made. If you're in an area that's prone to snakes, and look, most of Australia, let's face it is, yep. I think that's a good decision to have made before mm. the event because um, when, when it's all happening, um, people often have difficulty making those decisions. Yeah. And um, time is absolutely of the essence. Um, in snake okay. bite,
2: but,
1: yeah, right. yeah, awesome. Um, good, good things to um, yeah. be looking out for, I guess. It's, uh, yeah, good to know because, as you say, it is pretty common. Unfortunately, yeah, snakes around the country, but um, yeah, it's important right. to be That's aware.
0: Right. Of- we, we live, we live in the land of um, of lots of poisonous snakes, but yeah. um, you know thankfully, with with treatment, uh, you know, um, around eighty eighty something percent of dogs will survive, um, oh, even good. if they've right. been really properly bitten by a snake. Yeah, um, but you know, there, there's some sad stories where where They've just um been bitten in a big way and had a big, big dose of venom, especially if they're a smaller dog. Yeah. Um that, that that doesn't work out to be a happy story. But but look, most of the time the, the treatment is is really pretty effective depending on how much mm. they've um been uh, envenomated with.
1: Okay. That's good to know. And obviously it's uh you know, acting quickly is the key to that any of it, isn't it? You know, get
0: to get onto it. Absolutely. On to yeah. Cool, so. It's one of those things Excellent. that you, you just do not dilly dally.
1: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, thanks for that, Rob. Really appreciate your insight on that and uh, all the uh, questions you've answered today. Appreciate your time again and uh, hopefully we'll get to catch up with you again in a little while with some more uh, questions uh, for you.
0: Oh, thanks, guys. It's been my pleasure.
2: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.